Colin Williams. And I'm Ian Rowlands. And welcome to Beneath the Stream, a podcast about the human experience in the non-human world. And, uh, Ian, they're a magnet for life, both human and non-human. Historic natural highways along which settlements have appeared over the millennia of human existence. They're a source of food and can be economic lifelines. They've been sung about and written about and painted. They've been the wellspring for a huge volume of myths, legends and folk tales. To some they're holy places. They're important in the social and cultural imagination of almost every culture in the world. We care about them deeply. They attract metaphor like no other thing. But in the last hundred years they've become threatened and some would say that what we've done to them is nothing less than environmental vandalism. We're talking about the mighty river. And here we are. And we're, we're recording this on the banks of the Kennet, which is a chalk stream, um, a chalk waterway. It's a tributary of the Thames. And the River Kennet is, is beautiful and is nearby where I live. And it's a haven for various plants and animals further down um, and up towards Marlborough and Hungerford. In, in the early summer, the great white drifts of water crowfoot and uh, watervole, grass snake, reed bunting, brown trout, brook lamprey flourish in the Kennet, uh, uh, bucking the national trend in some cases. Um, there's still a little population of native uh, crayfish that live here. Um, and not forgetting the foundation to supporting uh, a great wildlife food chain. Insects, many hundreds of species, common and rare along this river. Um, large hatches of mayflies, and I've been here at the right time of year, where the, where the sky is just filled with the snow of hatching mayfly. And... Uh, and as a result, there's, there's trout, as I say, caddisflies are numerous, and there's reed beds, grasses, other vegetation along the side of the river, and it's also a river that part of it's been made navigable um, to go from sort of here through Marlborough and then onto, onto Bath in some cases. Um, and, and so it's one of the relatively rare chalk streams of the Southern England chalk form, formation here in Berkshire, Hampshire, Wiltshire and Dorset. And so we're here to talk about rivers Ian, and what they mean to us and what they've meant to us throughout history. It's a cute spot. It's, it's really nice here. It's, uh, um, it's a February, early February day. It's like spring. Um, clear blue sky, a few clouds dotted around, a little bit of a breeze. Um, there's been some birds of prey, a kite circling overhead. I just saw a rat swim across the river here. It's, a, it's, it's, it's lovely, and we're sat with our backs here to a cute little humpback bridge aren't we brick bridge yeah um, it's, yeah it's a really pretty spot the great let's start with us and rivers uh, in our history um the great milestones of human history took place by the banks of rivers um fossilized remains of our earliest known hominid ancestor were found next to the on the banks of ethiopia's awash river evidence of the momentous change from nomadic life and hunting gathering to sedentary farming first appeared in these narrow river valleys in the mountains of the near east and at archaeological sites between nine and ten thousand years old first civilizations emerged in the third millennium bc alongside the euphrates the tigris the nile the indus and a little later along the yellow river much later along an, another momentous turning point in history um, when we used rivers to power our industrial landscapes with mills um, and then use those rivers to transport things out of those places to the sea and to other ports along rivers and you only have to mention some of those great names of rivers uh, 
the Danube, the Amazon, the Nile, and you're you're already thinking about um, uh, they automatically conjure things um, mm-hmm. that other places don't. I mean, you could say, oh, I guess you could talk about mountains, and and you could talk about the Andes or the Alps or the Pyrenees, and they conjure certain things, but. Those rivers, they've got whole stories of their own in our human history. Yeah, no, I mean, and they, they're kind of like the lifeblood, aren't they, of human populations? You know, it's, it's all the things that you described. And, uh, and of course, increasingly people fighting over access to, to water and the rights to water for irrigation and drinking. So I get it. Funny enough, you were mentioning all the, the, the kind of historical links with, with great rivers. And uh, in its own little way, where, where I live in, in the county of Suffolk in the east of England, the River Old... Um, in, in 1907, two, two boys discovered the, the sort of bronze cast bust of the Emperor Claudia. So, so the Emperor Claudia, the Roman Emperor, when they conquered southern England, and, uh, and it was found in the river there. So I think it was claimed that uh, Boudicca, the great British Iceni warrior, right. uh, ripped the head off. <laughs> <laughs> off the statue of uh, the Emperor Claudia, and uh, so you have um, Claudius. You have this sort of link, really, with um, you know there was a, there was a civilization that that conquered England. It used the rivers, and then rather symbolically, the head of the statue ends up in the river all mm. those years later. So, I, I I've been to um, the Upper Nile in Egypt, and when you look at sort of some of the historical maps of those areas, with the way that they use the Nile to seasonally flood. Um, these whole areas of, of land and desert so they could grow things there. And you can see why it becomes a magnet for people and a magnet for wildlife as well. And really vivid memories of coming, almost being a hard line between the sands of the desert and then the green of the riverbanks, where in the desert is this kind of, you know, you might see um, vultures circling overhead in the desert, but then by the time you get to the riverbank, this great, beautiful cacophony of life suddenly springs up with um with pied kingfisher and um you see snakes in the reeds and you see um uh water monitors sort of plopping into the river <laughs> just in front of you and things like that so these, suddenly you can walk from these ostensibly barren landscapes get close to a river and life explodes no I, it's really interesting I, i'm as you're talking i'm trying to examine what my my relationship with rivers is, is like on a personal basis and I I think you're probably more drawn to rivers than I am and I think uh, we've been on uh, some kind of exploring adventures a couple of times in places recorded podcasts there and and you've often been the one that's wanted to get down to the river I know you're a keen swimmer mm. in rivers I'm sure we're going to touch upon that later whereas uh, maybe I'm not and uh, and for me they're they're important places and I love the I love them as somewhere to. Uh, it's like a recreation place. It's like getting a canoe out on the river, and uh, and I think we're just you know we're drawn to water. We're drawn to um, play in it, use it. Um, I'm probably less personally animated around right. rivers. I don't know why, but you know, not and not anti-river. <laughs> it's not. It's not, it's not go too far. But I, I think they they have less of a, a draw for me. But I I can see that. As you described all the life around her, if you want mm. to look for wildlife, you go to the water's edge yeah. because that's where you've got a super abundance of edge habitat and food for things. So mm. that's why you would, you would come here. And, and the, the historian Lewis Mumford wrote this. He said, all the great historic cultures have thriven 
Now, he uses the word thriven. Right. I, I haven't got that wrong. It's not thrive. I can go with that. Have thriven through the movement of men and institutions and inventions and goods along the natural highway of a great river. Okay. But all those things that the river brings, there's a... Um, in the Tunamask of uh, uh, southern Denmark, which is a sort of great drain marsh landscape where it's bounded on the on the west by the wild Atlantic and the Wadden Sea with great sea walls protecting the marsh behind it. And then uh, away to the east there, um, drained rich, drained farmland. They have a saying around there, which is, if we do not drown in salt water, we will drown in fresh water. And, <laughs> and so, you know, the, protect themselves from the sea in these great storm surges. They're also talking about protecting themselves from the rivers that come from inland and could effectively flood right. them and yeah. their land trapped inside the sea wall. And so, so rivers, as much being great things and, and great sustainers of life, um, can also be, be dangerous things as well. I, I like the fact you, 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 you touched on that because where, where I live, the River Old is sort of, um, uh, it's flooded very dramatically in the 1950s and people died. And the combination of our changing climate, global heating, the impact on uh, surge tides in the river. I live actually on, you know, the, what's claimed to be one of the fastest eroding coasts in Europe, uh, and the threat of the water is is a, you know, it's a very real present danger for everybody in the community that I live amongst. And so, water is actually something a lot of people fear. People say I'm crazy, I've got diamonds on the soles of my shoes Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues Diamonds on the soles of my shoes And the river is a sustainer of life and all the things we mentioned about what it brings um, is reflected in people's belief systems. So I wanted to explore a, li a little bit about that, if okay. that's okay. Yeah. And so... Uh, that's reflected in the myths and beliefs of many cultures. Um, and in many parts of the world, just the words for rivers are, are reflective of that as well. So um, in the Narmadai language, or the Narmadai River, Mother Narmada is how they describe it. The Volga is Matrodanya, mother of the land. The Thai word for river, Mainan, translates literally as water mother. Um, and they've often been linked with divinities, especially female divinities yeah, yeah, that's um, for sure. in history. In ancient Egypt, the floods of the Nile were considered the tears of the goddess Isis. Hmm. And, uh, and in Ireland's River Boyne, which we'll talk about a little bit later in another, in another myth, um, the island's River Boyne is overlooked by the island's most impressive prehistoric burial sites and was worshipped as a goddess by Celtic tribes. That's really interesting, isn't it? The Greeks had, uh, the ancient Greeks had the... the uh Naiads, the sort of water spirits, mm. not always associated with rivers, sometimes with uh, wells, fountainheads, springs, but a sprite really at the, around, around the water is. And I kind of, um, I'm conscious that in, in Welsh and Celtic mythology, there are sort of water horses in the river, a mythological beast that can, can come out and threaten you. The Kelpie comes from that, doesn't it? I think it's the mm. Scots sort of water horse. And I like the, I, uh, I think it's somebody almost told me about. Uh, the Morgans. Have you ever heard that one? No. It's a Welsh Breton sort of um, malign sort of water spirit creature. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, I'm, we gaze it. We sat by quite, and it's, it's clear these chalk rivers, but this is quite um, green, deep, dark, yes. grey green. Yes. So, yeah. um, so it's not impossible to imagine something rising up out of the water, completely unseen. It being a place where things lurk. 
and and those myths and ceremonies attached to those things are are multitude really um so the we, we mentioned the rivers of india there the rivers of india are perhaps more wrapped in myths and epic tales and religious significance than any other nation the environmentalist Vijay Paranjapai describes a sacred text which holds that all sins are washed away by bathing thrice in the Sarasvati, seven times in the Yamuna, once in the Ganges, but the mere sight of the Namada is enough to absolve one of all sins. <laughs> um, yeah. Another ancient text describes the Namada River as a river of merriment, flavourful, of graceful attitude, and one who radiates happiness. And so it, it, these rivers people embody these rivers with things we give them names we give them personalities yeah. you know we might say such a river is a placid river such a river is a turbulent river mm -hmm. in some cases they'll be the same rivers <laughs> just further upstream or, or, or further downstream and there's a movement right now isn't there to um, enshrine in law a state of personhood with certain rivers right uh, i think in new zealand's court case going through at the moment where what's been allowed to happen to the river what humans have facilitated or allowed or encouraged to happen um, if you can imbue the river with a, a legal state of personhood it's entitled to rights uh, and that clearly you know this is the modern convention really isn't it but it's harking upon what you talked about really which is named rivers having spiritual powers um, almost being in in that sort of animist societies those that believe all things uh, are alive and have life um, and so it's a, it's a bit like the Indian tradition where y you give something a name it has uh, its own essence its own energy its own being if you like so uh, I, I like the idea of being healed by one glance at a river mm. and my <laughs> sins washed away she was physically forgotten but then she slipped into my pocket with my car keys she said you've taken me for granted because i please you wearing these diamonds and you mentioned my penchant for swimming in these rivers and i've swum in this very river many times although although a little further downstream perhaps where it sort of swirls around and splits up a little bit um i've swum in this river many times and i do uh, gives me lots of people have written about wild swimming you know and you have to go and read roger deakin's water roger log deakin, and that's right yeah. and 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 there are other great books on wild swimming um and so i won't i won't go into it too much but but it it gives me a tremendous sense of well-being uh, and and we talk about cleansing in a in a less spiritual sense it really gives me that does it yeah it absolutely gives me that when i when i when i'm when i come out of the water um and I'm cold, but then you warm up really quickly after you've come out of the water, and and you, you know, your skin feels kind of a bit more stretched and taut, and you feel um, feel as if you've done some exercise. Your muscles are aching a little bit. Um, I feel genuinely refreshed. And, You're not selling it to me. And <laughs> I, I can believe it has some therapeutic properties, Colin. Yeah, but honestly, absolutely, I mean, it's cold. It's <laughs> green. It's it could be anything in there. But but I think that's part of it. Okay. It, it you know it's 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 part of the idea of um, for me it's almost one of the most fundamental connections right. uh, with with the non-human because it's a it's a whole different medium in itself. You know, it, it's better than running naked through the fields um, because you're immersing the yourself. Subject for another podcast, yeah. clearly. <laughs> Absolutely, um, it, which presumably will record completely naked 
yeah, best not seen, I would say. <laughs> um, I, it's interesting because I was thinking about my, my connection with the natural world. I was thinking about we, uh, we are planning later this year to do a podcast on foraging on wild food. Mm. And, and I, maybe that's me. I, I have this, a very strong connection with things that I can touch and taste and eat and relate to. And, uh, and, and whereas I have less of a direct connection that you're talking about, almost, almost uh, a well-being, therapeutic stimulation from getting in the water. And uh, I mean, I'm a qualified diver. I, uh, I I probably love being in the warmer water than you do, and I love marine life. Fascinated by it, it's kind of part of my uh, my career path. Really, is working with ocean and marine life. But yeah, I can't quite get with the the swimming in the rivers. It's not. Yeah. So so where where have you swum apart from here? Uh, so so I've swum in rivers in. Yorkshire and the Yorkshire Dales, rivers in Scotland, rivers in Wales, um, rivers in the West Country, uh, rivers in France, rivers in Spain. Um, I, I, I've swum in rivers all over the place, rivers in Romania. Um, and I kind of, uh, I think one of the things it gives me, um, it gives me a better insight into the life of the river. All right. Um, and once you go, and, and I think other, other people get it from fishing. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, okay. I'm not a fisherman, nor are you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, some people just enjoy being close to the river and seeing it pass by. And so, as I'm as I'm going even further and being in the river, I've had experiences where I've had kingfisher pass in front of me. Right. Um, no, I, I I get that. I do get it. I'm not. I'm I'm playing devil's advocate. Of, of course, Simon. Uh, funny enough, you mentioned Romania, which is perhaps one of the few. Parts of the Danube is one of the few rivers I might have been tempted to swim in, mm. but there are some backwater. The Danube's vast, of course. I think is, you've been yeah. there too, haven't yeah. you? And I, I used to lead uh, wildlife watching tours there, and uh, some of the backwaters, which are far from any kind of pollutants or being stirred up by boats, are crystal clear. Mm. I mean, it's like looking down into a, almost like into a coral reef, really, on, uncannily clear and beautiful. And and there, you know, it makes me want to. To swim in places like that, and I've um, I've swum with manatees in in Florida right, right. at a place called Crystal River, where um, it's pretty warm. It's these warm springs, so the manatees can overwinter without going back out into the ocean and avoid the cold temperatures of the winter. Um, and it's beautifully clear and really inviting, and it has a uh, a special quality to that mm. sort of experience. So I I, I do get it. And everybody here would know what I was talking about And everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about And so of those, um, I'll carry on talking about a little bit about myths really yeah. and, um, and, but not so much about the river now, but of the things it holds And hmm. so you talked about water sprites and things like that But uh, salmon that live in rivers have been imbued with mythological significance oh, really? So one of my favourites <laughs> is, right. again, we're going to re- revisit Ireland and the River Boyne, uh-huh. is the myth of the salmon of knowledge, <laughs> um, which legend had it swam in a pool near the source of the Boyne in Ireland, and anyone who tasted the fish would acquire understanding of everything in the world, past, present and future. Interesting. Native Americans in the, North, in the Pacific Northwest believe salmon to be superior beings who ascended rivers for the benefit of people, died and then returned to life in a great house under the ocean hmm. where they danced and feasted in human form. Is that right? I yeah, like interesting. That. Some tribes welcomed the first salmon of the season with a ceremony. Um, with a ceremony um, 
that they would normally uh, only do for the for a visiting chief, but they gave the same respect to the salmon. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by a lot of those um, myths and legends. Not the salmon of knowledge, although it made me think of um, when you go to Iceland. All the rivers are there's lots of rivers called laxa, L-A-X-A, mm. which mm. is the uh, Icelandic and other Scandinavian tongues uh, word for salmon. But it made me think when you're talking because I've been in the Pacific Northwest uh, in Canada where the uh, it's the Kushtaka, the Tlingit. Um, the Kushtaka is the, the otter man. Mm. So it, it was, uh, I think it was again associated with uh, the sort of the return of the salmon. Uh, I know that Selkie, I lived in Scotland for a long time, Selkie is a, a seal person. So we have these, these water beings that are part creature, part human. My favourite one, which I've never, uh, never seen yet in Brazil, is the uh, Encantado, which is the trickster human dolphin. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, uh, so yeah there's kind of some, some interesting stuff. Which presumably comes from the Amazon River dolphin. The uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, we've got a fascination that there are dolphins in, in the rivers and, and right up into the... Yeah, the Amazon River dolphins are mm. far, far from the sea. Yeah, feeding amongst tree roots with their, you know, very, very narrow beams or wide beams actually of echolocation. It's a very more simplistic form of echolocation, finding yeah. their way amongst the tree roots, looking for piranhas and other fish. And you, and you can see that because so those Amazon River dolphins have, because of the sediment in the water, they have that curious sort of pink. Yeah. quality to their skin and you could see how people would humanize yeah uh, it would humanize they're a bit them. creepy actually mm. they're a bit creepy in that regard yeah I think. so uh, yeah and, and so you mentioned water sprites earlier but there's also there's some bad myths and sort of some cautionary myths and tales. when rivers go bad as, as, <laughs> that's right when rivers attack <laughs> um and so what i want to talk about is a british myth called peg Powler and the grindelow Never heard of it. Uh, Did you just make that up? But no. And I'm going to shout out to the wonderful Icy Sedgwick, um, Ah, who you may know, who who runs, who's kind of had a lot to do with Folklore Thursday on Twitter and and is a great folklorist. So shout out to Icy because uh, the brilliant Icy Sedgwick for bringing us this. And um, the Grindelow appears in British folklore and it's kind of one of those cautionary tales. So on the thoughts is that they might tell these tales in order to stop children getting into trouble in rivers and, and, and potentially drowning in rivers. Sometimes known as Jenny Green Teeth, the Grindelow lurks in English rivers, ponds and marshes and according to these legends um, would, would drag children into the deepest parts of the river if they ventured in, if they dare venture and paddle in the shallows. Um, the River Tees in the UK boasts a version called Peg Powler um, and, uh, and then, but the, the, the great folklorist uh, Henderson goes on to relate a tale of Peg O'Neill, the water spirit dwelling in, in, in the River Ribble in oh, really? Lancashire. Yeah. 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 Uh, in Iceland, Gothafoss, which mm. is the, the, yeah, yeah. the, yeah, the right, river yeah. and the waterfall. And um, the, the legend, the, the, the story promulgated, was that, uh, that Torgir, through his uh, hand-carved idols, the gods, in the river, um, as he sort of renounced sort of pagan gods and turned to Christianity in the year, 999 and so uh, it's that the fall of the the gods uh, it turns out it's not a true tale actually it's uh. that some of the rocks looked a bit like gods oh i see um, but i like that story yeah. better that the, yeah. the idols were thrown in the river and, um, and 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 i didn't know that at the time so when you look into the water you you picture somewhere in the bottom in the murky depths at the bottom of the waterfall with these carvings of original gods and and the other thing i looked at which was um i'm a great uh, a study of shamanism 
And the man that really brought uh, studies of shamanism and uh, the concepts around it to the West is a guy called Michael Harner. And he wrote a seminal book in the 1970s, The Way of the Shaman, mm-hmm. uh, of which uh, as, as, yeah, there's a, another writer, Messi Eliade, who looked at those spiritual practices around the world. Anyway, I'm going off on a, on a tangent. But um, uh, Michael Harner wrote about spending time as an anthropologist studying the Achua, who were on the rivers in Ecuador. I think it's the river, see if I can get this right, is it the Pastaza and the... Bonzo, that sounds right to me but anyway, uh, and they lived by the rivers and he was travelling with them and they went to cross one of the rivers and it had risen up through due to rain but he looked at it and thought, that's doable we could go across there, but all the Achua camped out on the bank of the river and wouldn't cross and so they stayed there for two days and he was thinking, we could get across there and eventually he started chivying them a bit and chastising them and saying I thought you guys were men, you know, tough hombres. We could get across that river easily. And uh, and one of them took him to one side and said, we've spoken with our spirits and they're strong and we know we can get across, but we're not sure about you. Yeah. <laughs> but the, our spirits are strong enough to deal with the spirits of the river Yeah. and the malign spirits of the river, but your spirit guards, we're, we're not sure you've even got one. Mm. And uh, so I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah. She makes the sign of the teaspoon, he makes the sign of the way. The poor boy changes his clothes and puts on aftershave to compensate for his ordinary shoes. And I want to move on to how we now celebrate rivers. Mm-hmm. We as modern humans celebrate rivers and in, in song and art and literature oh, and must be a film. Ri- that must it? be a rich scene. I hadn't thought about oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We love to celebrate these things. So I'm going to just name a few of my own kind of things that pop to my mind when, when we talk about this. So the, the great Turner painting, The Fighting Temeraire, um, you know, the picture of this warship being tugged to Rotherhithe on the River Thames to be broken up. So, you know, this great river scene, and actually artists have used London um, a tremendous amount to kind of... Uh, uh, and, and the Thames seems to be at the heart of a, lo- uh, a lot of those images. Uh, the book Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, um, which is a book I love, um, and it's a classic tale, and it centres around this journey... Um, up the River Congo mm. um, and, and into the dark rainforests of, of the Congo. And, of course, it, its undertone is that this is a, a place where that's, that's, that's driven someone mad. Um, and, uh, but, but a lot of it, a lot of the tension of the book, a lot of the focus of the book is this river, this dark river driving into a dark place. Um, and, of course, you can't mention rivers and heart of darkness without mentioning Apocalypse Now. Um, but the Francis Ford Coppola film, which is based on Half Darkness, um, and of course, again, it's about uh, a lot of the film is a long journey to get there. But eventually, they get to the mouth of this river where they're where they're they're, they're driving their boat um, into the river, uh, in the mouth of the river, and up the river into the jungle uh, to again, uh, as it's based on Half Darkness, um, Colonel Kurtz, isn't it? I think yeah. uh, where they're who's 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 gone crazy um, at the end of this river but it's this this journey and there are moments of that film moments in the book half darkness which are just unbearably quiet that nothing's happening um, all all you have is you and the river 
uh, an almost unbearable weight of the river and the, and the, the journey it's inexorably driving you on through um and then in song, and I'm going to mention Bruce Springsteen. I thought you might mention yeah, Bruce. I thought Bruce. it was an outside possibility. And the river, yeah. which, which a few years ago I was in a bookshop and uh, I, I, I saw this book, which is 50 Most Depressing Songs. <laughs> Number one was The River by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, and did you feel um, challenged because, by that phrase? <laughs> well, I did really, because I don't, I don't find it depressing at all. I, I kind of find it a little bit hopeful in a way, because there's you know some, some verses at the end there which kind of lifted a little bit but um yeah certainly in song art literature all sorts of things we we celebrate rivers and continue to celebrate and reflect on rivers nice yeah i, I agree that i i can't I don't think there's something to counter with that but i i think um i was listening recently to uh, the czech composer smetna mm-hmm. and uh, who wrote uh, ma vlast which is really a, a significant part of that cherishes uh, the moldau the river in the czech republic so there must be lots of other Composers who've also wanted to cherish, celebrate, um, commemorate things, I guess, that, that happen in and around great rivers. Actually, a big fish just rose as we were talking. Did it? So, yeah, it was, uh, it's alive all around us. Isn't it just? Places. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I wanted to, to kind of finish off. We all finish off with something a little bit different, but just, just before we do, I just want to talk about what's happening to our rivers mm-hmm. and, and, and what we're doing to them. and. And you can't sort of uh, talk about rivers, um, and if you've been involved in the conservation of whales and dolphins, without thinking about the Baiji, the, the Yangtze River dolphin, um, which was, I think, probably finally declared extinct in the early 2000s, yeah. something like that, or yeah. the mid the, the mid early 2000s. We 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 suffocated this animal, this wonderful cetacean. We we suffocated it into extinction. Yeah with what we what we ploughed into those rivers in China. And then there was a great conservation effort, or seemingly a great conservation effort, to try and locate them, uh, try and locate... Because um, someone felt there might be still a sort of little relic population there. Uh, that, that animal is gone. I find it astonishing in, in our lifetime, and I guess we are, we are losing much, and we shouldn't place value on greater rather than smaller creatures, and we're losing insects and plants all the time. But I think it was such a... A shock to me at that point to think that something as significant as a, a dolphin species that you think of it's hard to think of animals more likely to capture public imagination um, there's a phrase isn't it that we lost it <laughs> and I think it's an ad- adequate phrase because it's actually it's more than a casual misplacing of something we mm. we actually by our actions as humans we drove it took it to out extinction, of, yeah. of, of the mm. ecological system it it speaks of being, you know, kinder to the other beings on the planet. It speaks of being kinder to our environment. And uh, kinder to water, maybe, I was going to say at that point. Yeah, that's you know, interesting, you know I'm it? fond yeah. of a bit of a left-field view on this. There's a, a, a Japanese writer, scientist, uh, Masaru Emoto. He died a few years ago. And um, he did a lot of experiments with... Um, taking samples of water from different places and freezing it allowing it to crystallize and he'd um he'd either have him or his students shout at the water (laughs) unpleasant phrases or nice things or even just written notes that had love written on or hate and there's some question marks over the rigor of the science but i'm not going to go there with that Uh, but there was there were differences in the quality of the crystals ugly 
misshapen crystals formed when water was shouted at and pleasant beautiful crystals formed when people showed respect and love and and i think um much as that might um might seem like a weird note to pick up on i think um we're looking here at a river that that commands love respect being cherished and uh, and that's really maybe it's our view of the natural world being reflected than our human world i think that's fascinating so it's a lovely way to look at it which is actually the further through the chain of life you can think then the simpler it becomes to look after things i think and i've always felt that where you and it's a it's a lovely thought that you gave there which is actually instead of thinking about the health of the salmon or the trout or the native crayfish or the mayfly or the caddisfly think about the health of the water treat the water with respect do, do everything you can to keep the water clean and then it will look after the life in it itself it's a it's a lovely thought that um i like that um and while you mention the water at our feet here i want to then give an example of what we've done to this very river right um and i want to talk to you about something called the kennet insect kill okay which happened in july 2013 so not that very long ago where the environment agency so in this very river the one we are looking at now investigated an insect kill when a small quantity of something called chlorpyrifos which is an organophosphate insecticide which is found in ant poison and you can buy it in garden centers was flushed into this river um, killing the freshwater shrimp and most other arthropods on the stretch of the river between Marlborough and Hungerford. Now that's a stretch of river that's probably let me think that's that's probably seven miles of river. Mm, wow. And the amount of um, chlorpyrifos that they estimate was flushed into the river was two teaspoonfuls. Shoot. Two teaspoonfuls of that um, pretty much wiped out the shrimp and the arthropods on mm. this river. Mm. And now that's extraordinary. Um, and and But I hope that people are waking up to the delicacy of these rivers, and especially these chalk streams, which are, which England holds most of the world's chalk streams. Right. Um, and, and I hope that people are waking up. And, and I want to give a, another shout-out mm-hmm. to the wonderful Fergal Sharkey, um, who is single, he of undertones fame, right. and um, he talks really nicely and really wonderfully about what rivers have given him and how they give him a great sense of well-being, and uh, he also talks about how much they're threatened and in danger, and particularly chalk streams, which he's, he's, he's made a study of, and, and so I want to give a shout out to Fergal and mm-hmm. all he's doing to kind of raise the, um, raise the awareness of how we're, we're killing the rivers around us. Yeah. That's that's uh, I think that's that's wonderful sentiment to to express, and I think um, whatever we do, each of us in our everyday lives and the things that we're using, it's going to end up somewhere. And there's no throwing stuff away. Away always ends up in the natural world. So all of us, myself included, are probably using substances which you think we've got to find a way around using them because if if we can damage these beautiful places that, that Fergal and others are seeking to protect, that are essential to the lifeblood of ourselves and everything living here. Let's do it. And she said, honey, take me dancing. But they ended up as sleeping in a doorway by the bodegas and the lights on up a Broadway wearing these diamonds. Yeah, I wanted to throw in some um, rivers I have known. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, I, was, I was trying to, as you were talking, I was thinking, oh yeah, what, what, what kind of rivers have I kind of got special memories associated with them? I remember um, traveling up to northern Norway and Finland on the border there when you get right up to the up near the coast and high Arctic circles of Tana. That was uh, such a shock to me because the entire banks of the river, a good sort of um, 20, 30 feet, you know, 10 meters more, uh, were, were completely stripped bare. And it's, it was that when the ice breaks up on the river, it just scours the landscape. All the trees, everything gone every Amazing. year. It was really dramatic. I remember that. And um, so I was thinking about that as one of the places I always remember. Um, Florida holds kind of a special place to me because it's almost like not like a river. The Everglades are what, what the Seminole called that river of grass, the sawgrass marsh. It's actually one vast, very shallow river. Um, that's a really fascinating landscape, dominated by water. I've never been to the Okavango, I imagine it's similar, but you, you can't traverse it easily, but that, yet it's got bears and Florida panther and uh, skunk ape in there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess for sort of um, one experience of a river that uh, sticks in my mind for a variety of reasons, was I was, I was camping in the Daintree Rainforest on my own in Queensland, and uh, and I guess I hadn't really properly given thought to the perils that are there, the things that can uh, get. There's plenty of insects in, in the rainforest there, and uh, you go down to the shore. It's beautiful. This rainforest just drops down from sort of steep hillsides, you know, to pristine white beaches and gleaming turquoise sea. It's an awesome landscape, and. Uh, and then there are signs warning you not to get in the water because of the box jellyfish mm. that will sting you. It's Australia, isn't it? It's just everything wants to kill you and hurt <laughs> you really in the natural world there. And uh, so I was thinking, okay, I can't go in the sea. I've been in the rainforest quite a lot of time. I'm going to go for a walk down the beach. And I got to this river, a creek, flowing out across the beach and down to the sea. And I was just about to stroll through it in that way somebody British would do, not used to there being a hazard. And I suddenly thought, saltwater crocodiles <laughs> there could be one in this creek here and i'm just going to stroll across so so yeah so i was I, I i remember thinking this is like a paradise place on earth absolute paradise but the river holds perils yeah. actually everything held perils but the river held perils and the name of the place in in aboriginal local language was place of the spirits so for me when you're thinking of one one thing that encapsulates rivers that's what it is um, I think for me, two two experiences really. Um, one that sort of summed up how important they are to humans, really, and the other that sums up kind of uh, a nice little moment, which which was for me. Um, the first one you you mentioned the River Danube in, in in Romania, and of course, if you're sort of a wildlife watcher, you're often out at the sort of Danube Delta as it as sort of spills out into the Black Sea, where it kind of unwinds in this great frayed, huge. Uh, flat space of delta it's a great magnet for birds and and wildlife um but further upstream from that um between um uh it's kind of right on the border of of romania and bulgaria um it's it's a great huge wide river i mean you know right. sort of you know a kilometre across in some cases half a kilometre and there's there's a there's a ferry there and i remember doing a long journey out uh out of central R Romania in the mountains, down into the plains, um, and then out where we, where at one point we had to cross the Danube in this kind of 
rickety car ferry crossing um, at this crossing point and as we were queuing up to to drive a car on onto this ferry I, I kind of walked down to the river there um, and I not only the whole life of the river um, was there um, but the river as a crossing point and the river as a place that attracted people because people were all sort I got talking to all sorts of people there were people that had come down from Russia um, to visit their family in Bulgaria that had come down and were crossing the river at that point um, gamblers going out to the Black Sea casinos people working in the casinos dancers and, and croupiers and seasonal workers and uh, farmers who were, were moving things from market to market this whole great span of human life gathered at the river gathered at this crossing point and uh, it was a really lovely moment for me where I kind of uh, kind of uh, a new part of the river came alive for me um, at that point and, and the other experience is one that is one that you and I shared actually we were in um, Cantabria in northern Spain uh, a, a few years ago and we'd had we were going to find some curiously carved standing stones right in in the sort of uh, right in a col right in a mountain pass high up we had a poor map and poor directions to try and find these things and they were really remote and it was a long hot walk up there I remember and uh, at one point we were sort of doing 10 yards at a time and sort of trying to find some shade to rest in and drink um, and it was so high up that we got to the point we, we were there in, in late May and it was, there was still snow sitting in this coal at the top and, uh, and then we had to come all the way back down uh, we, did, we did find the standing stones but we had to come all the way back down to, to where we'd left our car um, which was right by this kind of mountain stream right? and, and all I could think of was, was being able to take my boots off and put my feet in this river um, which I finally got to do um, when we got there um, and the whole it kind of encapsulated the purpose of rivers the kind of refreshing life it, it brought uh, uh, to me and, and brings to has brought to humans all the way through their history and I want to close with a quote from uh, from the, uh, uh, by Norman Maclean from his novel A River Runs Through It. Then in the arctic half-light of the canyon all existence fades to a being with my soul and memories and the sounds of the big Blackfoot River and a four-count rhythm and the hope that a fish will rise. Eventually all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of those rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by waters. <laughs>